Welcome to the Cult Video Vault. It gives me no pleasure whatsoever to present your hosts, Robbie and Greg. Hello and welcome to the Cult Video Vault. I'm Robbie with my co-host Greg. In every episode, we pull a movie from the vault and discuss its qualifications as a cult film. Greg, how are you? Good Lord, Robbie. Why did we pick this film? <laughs> I don't know. Dude, I love me some Paul Verhoeven, but, but, but you can say that again. There's a lot of buts in this movie. Today, we leave the loving arms of John Carpenter and enter the world of 1995 Showgirls by Paul Verhoeven, perhaps the most miserable movie ever made. In it, we root for no one, see the unsexiest nudity ever on film, and feel gross and bored for the entirety of the runtime. Would you say yes? You're going to be a big star. Could you say no? You like her? I'll buy her for you. Ask yourself. You're a stripper. Don't you get it? I'm a dancer. What price would you pay for your dream? If someone gets in your way, step on them. It's not about fair. It's about power. This Friday, see the movie everyone is talking about. Showtime. Showgirls rated NC-17. No children under 17 admitted. Starts Friday. I wouldn't say it's like the the grossest nudity of all time or the unsexiest nudity of all time because I've seen a lot. I mean, I've seen some trash, man. But you do become very desensitized to the nudity in Showgirls. I think if you ask an average person what they know about Showgirls, it's like, oh, it's that it was the movie that was NC-17. Right. There's so much nudity. So we were 10, right, whenever this came out. Mm -hmm. Were you aware of how hyped up this movie was as it was being released or it was in production? I knew of it. I was 10. I was a 10-year-old boy. I was going to a private Christian school at the time. So it was even more of that forbidden fruit that like, oh, we need, what is that? Right. That, that you know, you said like, oh, it's NC-17. Like that was like, so I was watching R-rated movies by that point, really. Like my parents like were sort of vetting them, you know, like, oh, that one's probably fine. Oh, that one's probably fine. Showgirls was one of the ones like, no, 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 Robbie, <laughs> no, no. Right. You're, t- you're 10. You can't, you can't see that. Strangely enough, because this came out uh, the same, it was the same in the theaters at the same time as Seven, which was another R-rated film that I was not allowed to watch when I was 10. See, I wasn't really interested in R-rated films or anything like that whenever I was 10 years old, but I did gravitate towards the late night, like Entertainment Tonight and at the movies with Cisco and Ebert. So I would watch and consume all this stuff as a 10-year-old. So I was very aware of Showgirls because there was a lot of press about this movie, uh, about how it was so fucking expensive and that the guy that made RoboCop is making this weird Las Vegas Showgirls movie. So I knew that there was like this mystique about it. And again, when they slapped the NC-17 on it, it became the forbidden fruit, right? I'm only 10 years old. I won't ever be able to see this thing. I need to see this thing. Yeah. I saw bits of this as a child, effectively. And it was more just like, wow, boobs. Right. Like that kind of thing. I've watched this since, like as an adult, Mm -hmm. uh, probably in college. I don't remember much about it other than I was bored. I've never seen it before. This was my very first time watching (laughs) Showgirls because I had had no interest. I probably, I know I had seen parts 
on uh, VHS that I wasn't supposed to see. We all know why, you know, these, <laughs> these young boys want to watch showgirls. It's not for the high drama or the no. script. And they're not going to sit through two and a half hours almost two two hours, oh, 11 minutes. It's so, so long. long, so long of drama to see. I mean, there is a lot of nudity in this, but you got to go through a lot of shit to get to it sometimes. And then whenever you do see it, it is unflattering. We're in a different world now. Nudity and sex in general are so easy to find dude whenever you can just like go to google and type in boobs and it's in your hand that blows my little like 10 year old mind because it was so hard to go find a nudie magazine or a porno tape it wasn't so easily accessible honestly like the biggest difference in like consuming this is that the world has changed so much uh and it Porn and nudity is so easy to find online in moments with your phone on a computer that this just feels like it feels kind of sad. That's what I that's what I felt after like watching this film. I just felt miserable and sad. And I don't know how much of that is intentional or is this just a big mess? Because it's Paul Verhoeven. Before this, he made Basic Instinct. Yeah, that that's what got him pretty much a blank check to make showgirls because it's the same writer and the same director as Mm -hmm. basic instinct. And that did really well as an erotic thriller. Yeah. Joe Esterhouse is the writer of this. And apparently he wrote this in like the worst time of his entire life. He was going through a divorce. No kidding. I don't believe it. The most, this miserable uh, movie filled with like melodrama and, and honestly, some of the worst dialogue I've ever heard. I used to love Doggy Chow. <laughs> I used to love Doggy Chow too. So bad. I just I blame the writer. I blame Joe Astros. I I don't understand how you can get a script like this and astute MGM will give you 40 to 45 million dollars. To make this movie. And this dude got a $2 million advance to write the script. They thought that the concept alone was good enough to advance this man $2 million. Blows my fucking mind. I mean, it's on the heels of Ace Instinct and Sliver, both written by Esther House. Both are erotic thrillers starring Sharon Stone. And you go, oh, they the studio's just like, oh, they'll just do another one. We'll get another one of those. And it will probably do just as well. Well, Paul Verhoeven, you know, he did, just did Basic Instinct. He directed Robocop, for God's sakes. Right. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, like you said, a little bit of hyperbole with the unsexiest nudity. But it is just that as I've gotten older, every subsequent viewing of this film, the nudity is just, you're just like, oh, okay. Yeah, boobs. How many times have you seen this movie, Robbie? I think three times, four times now. Wow. Maybe? Wow. I mean, I, I, I never want to watch this movie again. Oh, I'm never watching it again. This is it. <laughs> I'm never. It's, this is it's my first one and done. Yeah. This is the time where I'm like, if we weren't doing this podcast, I would never watch this movie. I would have never watched this film again. Mm-hmm. But this for the podcast, I'm like, oh, maybe I like I before I watched it. I think we were talking about this before I read up on the, you know, the cult 
revival of this thing, right? Of people finding it after the fact yes. and maybe no, no, it's actually good or no, it's actually fun to watch. Not that it's even like there's, there's two camps of this and it's very strange where there are some people who are like, no, this is actually a good movie. This is incredible satire. This is just Paul Verhoeven doing what he does. It just makes the film unwatchable, but it's still really good satire. And I'm like, okay, I don't know how those things work together, but sure. This film then, brought me no joy. So whenever I finished the movie, I thought to myself, there were pieces of it that could have easily fit in an A24 film today. Yes, I agree. That this style of drama would still get made under a label like A24. I don't think it would ever get that type of budget. I understand that most of that money went to production when they actually put the shows together. Yeah, I mean, you can see the money. Like, that looks so... Everything looks so expensive. (laughs) And it's shot so clean. That was another thing that I took away from this, is that for as grimy as the material is, it's so vibrant. There are elements, like you said, that, oh, I get it. I get the... Like, I can see the satire. I can see the kind of vague shape of it. Where, oh, we're going to take this really gross material, like this this whole movie is about people selling their souls for the smallest bit of fame and sacrificing everything they believe in and just being monsters to each other, amoral, but then you shoot it really clean. You make it all beautiful. Like, oh, I get it. Like, like that juxtaposition. It works. It makes sense. Some of the themes, someone pursuing art or the degradation of the American dream or the emptiness of this type of film even where you know and i see i saw that in some of the criticism and stuff people were like oh this is about how these all the hollywood movies that are about this ascent to fame and stuff are all empty i sort of see it i see the elements of it but the puzzle does not fit together no i really wanted to like it i really wanted to like even if i hated the film like you know this comes up up, up again and again greasy strangler <laughs> A thoroughly unpleasant movie to watch. But I never, after I was done, I didn't go, ugh, that's terrible. I never want to watch it again. Right. I, I went, oh, that's, I understood what they want, what they were going for, and they, they achieved it. Yeah. I don't know what, after watching this, even after reading a bunch of criticism of it, I go, I don't know what Paul Verhoeven was thinking. I don't know what he thought he was doing with this thing. Like, I see some of the elements there, but they're all in the wrong order. They're assembled poorly. I don't know what to make of it. Yeah. It's just, it's just, and it's so, like, it's so long. Yeah. You can't attach yourself to any character. The first time we meet Nomi, the main character, Elizabeth Berkeley, uh, she is like at a truck stop on the side of the road, something. She's on the, yeah, she's just on the side of the road hitchhiking. Yeah. And she gets picked up by a guy heading to Vegas and she pulls a knife on him immediately. Yeah, and it's so over. Everything is over the top. Everybody is chewing up the scenery. The car freaking just veers all over the fucking road, but doesn't wreck, even though it probably should have. Like, I don't understand. Everything is pushed to the extreme. And you can tell right from the get go the type of story that we are going to get. And it's so much empty melodrama. Like when you mention A24, you can see that film in your head almost immediately. Mm -hmm. But it is not filled with Nomi immediately pulls a knife on some dude in a truck 
goes to Las Vegas and has everything immediately stolen from her and then almost gets hit by a car. I get it. Oh, she's been taken advantage of. But you learn much later on in the film is that she's had a terrible history, like a checkered mm-hmm. past, been arrested, been a prostitute. Yeah, she's she's definitely had a hard life. We also see how naive and uneducated she is. Her first reaction to everything is to lash out. Verhoeven has said, oh, I wanted to make a film that everyone, every character is amoral. Well, a mission accomplished. Yeah. It's most impossible to root for this character. And it's not that you can't make movies like this with kind of anti-hero characters or characters that are rogues or or, or kind of have an edge. Like like Casino came out the same year in like that is a vague. It's also a Vegas movie. Mm-hmm. Like you think about like those kind of movies, which are like, you know, more mafia centered, the Scorsese movies, but they are still following kind of like eh, kind of a scumbag mm-hmm. uh, as they ascend through this life. And it's not too different from this. Nomi's not a good person. The problem is she doesn't start off as a good person. They want I think the film does it like it frames like her descent into being a bad person to get ahead. Like she, you know, the, the they make such a big deal about her pushing, uh, Crystal down the stairs, uh, so that she can take her part late in the film. But I just went, yeah, of course, of course, that's what you do in this world. Yeah, and yeah. she's forgiven well, by the end. Yeah, it, Crystal I mean, forgives ten, her. She's straight up. Like she's ten, like, yeah, man. How do you think I got later, mine? Ten minutes later, she says it. It's like it's so. It's or maybe fifteen, twenty. It could be three hours later. I can't even keep track. Yeah, the time it, time in this movie does not exist. You are just left confused by. Is there supposed to be an arc where we see her start off as an innocent character and turn into this kind of monstrous version of herself? No, she's a monster no, to start she's with. A, she's People. always a monster. I think if there's any type of arc, is that she stands up for her friend, and that's it. She gambled one and left okay i guess that's the story because at the beginning we see her gamble win and then lose it all and then that's when the story starts so with this we're gonna say she gambled she won she made it she was the big star all right now she's out i know that people love this film let's talk about its cult status for a little bit right so people have rediscovered this film And are seeing these nuances that I guess if you want to dig deep into anything, you can find something, right? I think that this film has gotten a cult status now, mainly because it was so hated and was one of those films that everybody knew about, but nobody seemed to like. So now it's been sitting on the island of misfit toys for 30 years and now people are like no 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 it's good i promise it's good look at how good this is bro you can talk to me all day long it ain't good to me there's just no fun in it not even a little the other movie that comes to mind is like uncut gems so i i don't like uncut gems i understand why people do like it but it's another one of those films where i'm not rooting for anybody and it is a cacophony of chaos a24 likes those style of films so that's why i would say showgirls would fall in that camp but 
with a, you know, a 1995 lens. The cult status of it is completely separate from the critical reevaluation. There's critics who are like, no, this is actually a good movie. The people who like it for its I mean, cult, for cult reasons don't think it's good. They just find it enjoyable. They find it fun or pleasant or so bad. You know, it's a so bad it's good movie. I just don't see it. Even if I was in a crowd of people, maybe we'd all be cringing together. That's the best I could say. I could like maybe see it if it, you were watching one of like the weird uh, TV versions of the movie, <laughs> which is actually more fun to watch because it's so insane because they obviously the film is the filled with nudity. People are naked a lot. Right. Do they um, cut out the pool scene altogether? They cut out 40 minutes of the movie. <laughs> you can't show you can't show any dancing numbers. Well, they put they digitally add black brawls and panties onto to many of the scenes that are filled with naked women. So it's just, oh, you go to the strip club, all the women are wearing black bras and panties. Digital? Digital black bras and panties. How much like, did, how much did that cost? I have no idea. Uh, Elizabeth Berkeley's lines are redubbed by a different actress because she wouldn't do it because they didn't pay her, I guess. That's what Wikipedia says. I don't know. I mean, that happened all the time. I mean, yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Falcon. <laughs> I mean, we all know that classic line on the redub of Die Hard 2. <laughs> Yes, was not no. Bruce Willis. No, but it's that it's that same idea. But it, that is to me is more fun because you're just like, look at this absurdity. Look, look, what did they do? Why, yeah. why even bother? You don't need to put this on television. But that is more fun to me than whatever you want to call. Like, I don't know how you can give this movie like this cult status when there is just this god awful rape scene in it. Oh yeah, um, like so much of it is just so unpleasant, and it's, it's so, just because. It, like, there's no motive behind the rape scene. It's just kind of like, all right, we picked our girl. Come on in. What the fuck? Molly is basically the, the I like the only she's nice the only person. good character in the entire you, film, and she gets raped. You get what they're trying to do, where you're like, oh, everyone's immortal, and if you aren't, you get punished for it. But it's still so awful and yeah. so unpleasant. So you have to watch a movie. Like movies don't exist in vacuums where you just like, oh, I craft the theme and I craft it. I mean, a two and a half hour, two and a half, two hour, 10 minute movie where everyone's unpleasant and unwatchable uh, because it captures the true sadness and sorrow. People have to watch the movie. (laughs) So this movie did make its money back, of course, when it hit the video market, it made a hundred million dollars and rentals it makes sense of course because everybody wants to see Mm -hmm. saved by the bell girl get naked that and like that also just feels completely like stunt casting to me you know verhoeven's gone on record to say it was really hard to find an actress that was comfortable with the dancing the nudity and the sexual situations because that's all this movie is yeah and that no other actress wanted and was willing to do all three except for elizabeth berkeley i I don't know maybe maybe that's true because i don't see a lot of other actresses willing to do what she did and it's not like you couldn't find someone out there like maybe not a famous actress or even actress that's been in anything and that's the thing is that someone she was 
I wouldn't say a name, but she was a familiar face to a lot of people who had seen her on Saved by the Bell for years. Right. And that's that's why I say it feels sort of like stunt casting. And I also say it feels like stunt casting because of how uh, Starship Troopers, which came out after this, has also a cast where you feel like a large part of that cast are there because they're not good actors um, or they're not worth like it's it because they feel kind of naive and they look like they look like the cast of a Saved by the Bell type show. And it feels like this. It's the same case where Paul Verhoeven saw like, oh, we can get the girl who is in the teeny drama drama Saved by the Bell and she could be naked for 50% of the movie or some producer did that. Yeah, I don't know if it was Verhoeven. I don't think Verhoeven knew what Saved by the Bell was. That's fair. He's he probably doesn't, but a producer almost certainly would. Absolutely. It was it was a, a ploy and a marketing scheme as well in order to get more attention on this film. I mean, if if there's anything to be learned is the amount of attention it got. And the fact that even though it bombed at the box office, Verhoeven still got work. He wasn't he wasn't blackballed. That's crazy to me that you can make this movie, lose money, and then be able to release a big budget movie like Starship Troopers two years afterwards. I think it's very much like, oh well, that's one bad one. Yeah, he still he made, made Robocop, he, he still made Total Recall. Basic instinct. I think going back to Starship Troopers is is like, oh well, he tried to go down the the erotic thriller route or the erotic drama route let's pull him back to sci-fi let's do let's get him back to what he's good at we know he's good with this satirical science fiction again i love i love starship troopers starship troopers is fucking amazing but i this is this is the thing where i'm like no you're when you said it I'm never going to watch this again. No, I'm never going to watch this again. Ever. No. There's no, there's, you cannot talk me into it. If people are like, we're going to have a bad movie now, we're going to watch Showgirls. I'm like, can I talk you out of it? Can we watch anything else? <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got a list a mile long of other films that we can watch on a bad movie night besides Showgirls. I do have a question about like, why is like the obsession with Vegas in the mid 90s? Like there were so yeah. many movies in Vegas, big casino showgirls leaving Las Vegas, uh, Mars attacks swingers 97. We get con air and fear and loathing. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of Vegas films in the, I 90s. guess it's, I, it's very strange to me. Like, I don't, I don't know why had to be some mob money producing. Hey man, it we need may- more Vegas films so we can get travel up. It might be that. Um, have you ever seen, I was looking at Vegas movies. Very bad things. We've talked about this a little bit. Uh, have we? I, I don't have remember. Not seen it. It's where the the hooker dies at the bachelor party, right? Right. It's like it is the bachelor party gone bad movie. Yeah, yeah. I ha- I have not seen it. Another one of those films that I was aware of because of Entertainment Tonight and Siskel and Ebert, uh, but I never got around to watching it. I was just thinking of movies that are like kind of similar in like or like a tangential to this. And you mentioned like uncut gems. Like I was thinking of like, oh, what's a movie about dancing and, and like the drama and I'm like, well, that's Black Swan. Mm. Right. Or or you like or movies about Vegas and the the darkness in it. And you're like, well, that's because like Casino came out the same year. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also very bad things, which is set in Vegas. And it's about a bachelor party that goes bad and about darkness of humanity and all that stuff. 
it's a black comedy as well like i'm just like and all those work better even very bad things which a very flawed movie but i'm curious to see how how that would be on a rewatch maybe we'll do it eventually showgirls is a cult movie that's for sure i am not in the cult no i think we both pass on showgirls enough thank you ladies thanks for listening to the cult video vault be sure to follow us on instagram and tag us in everything you think belongs on the podcast my name is greg aka the movie mutant and you can find me at themoviemutant.com I'm Robbie Dorman, and you can find everything I do on RobbieDorman.com with links to purchase all of my horror novels. You should go buy them, because they're good. I'm Robbie Dorman on all social media platforms, but I'm most active on Instagram. We'll see you next time in the vault. Vault.